Time for some Wheel Nerds. Hi, and welcome to Wheel Nerds. This is episode 71. I'm Todd. And I'm Chuck. We're going to be talking about motorcycles. And I'm going to take a moment. Okay. So over, we we were on a long break, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't just Christmas and booze. My mother passed away. Mm, That's um, too bad. A few days before Christmas. And just a couple days shy of uh, my dad's two-year anniversary of passing away. Wow. So it was kind of a rough end of year. Um, Mm. So I'm just going to take a moment here and uh, preemptively dedicate tonight's show to my mom. Kazuko, this one's for you. That, by the way, was Chuck's mom at the beginning telling him to shut off that darn bike. Yep. (laughs) He hears that a lot. I sure did. (laughs) So... What did everyone want to talk to us about? Chuck, we Chuck, 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 Chuck. Yes. There was a there was a Ural in the snow. Was it you? No, no, it wasn't me. It was another guy on ADV. I wonder how many of our, our listeners were suspecting. All the of them, <laughs> because they all sent it to us. Yeah, so the, there's a guy talking on the news, and a year old goes, he's like, "Oh, this storm is terrible!" And the year old goes behind him, and he's like, "Whoa, huh? <laughs> I ain't never seen nothing like that." <laughs> Yep. Uh, usually we like to you know throw out a, a thanks or a credit where it's due, but so many people pointed this out to Thank us. you, everybody. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for thinking of us when yes. you, you see the dude. We were we were snow. touched. We were touched. He is my people. I, you know, I I'm not sure if enough people told us. Yeah, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe twenty thirty more would have been nice. Would have been cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, tell your friends to get on our cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Make sure to send that to us. <laughs> so I've got my garage is totally eighties. Yeah. Yeah. You got neon in there, some fluorescence. Better. So Wheelner's listeners will have noticed that a Yamaha Radiant 600 showed up on our Facebook page with no explanation of any kind as to what it was doing in my garage. Oh, what's it doing in your garage? Actually, it turns out our friend Matt, his wife bought this for him for his birthday. Wait, hold up. A wife bought his... Bought, bought her, her husband, husband a, motorcycle a motorcycle for her for the birthday. She comes over to my house and she's like, okay. Is he's he at a work. rider? He's, he will be. He wants to be. Yeah. Okay, so she bought his first motorcycle uh-huh. for him as a present. Yes. Preemptively. Yes. Yeah, she's married, Chuck. Wow. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? That's okay. This is Utah. <laughs> <laughs> Those things fly here. But yeah, so she she comes over to my house and she's like, okay, I need help finding a bike. We find this bike. It's this Radian 600. Uh-huh. And we go up to look at it. It's way up in Ogden. And we go to look at the thing, and we pull into the driveway, and in the driveway, in front of the Radian, is a absolutely immaculate, immaculate 80s Goldwing. Bright cherry red, not a scratch on it, shiny chrome everywhere. It's got like 120,000 miles on the clock of this thing. I'm like, did okay, you, did you knock, that is a good sign. Did you knock over the Radian on your way to the Goldwing? I may have humped it a little bit. <laughs> So the guy comes out and he's talking about it and all this. I'm like, yeah, this is this thing is an absolute like the bargain of the century. And then it won't start because the battery's dead because it's cold as shit out. Sure. So he and I try to push start it up and down the street a little bit to no love because the battery's stone dead. And, and it's, he's like, weather sucks here. Yeah. And he's like, okay, well, uh, so here's what we'll do. I'll uh, knock two hundred bucks off it and I'll deliver it to your house. And we're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is this radian is the bargain of the century. It's an amazing shape. 
The only problem was when I took it out for its uh, shakedown ride to make sure everything was cool. Okay. So I get on the thing, and I finally get it running once I charge the battery. Go out for a ride, and I get close to the gas station, and it dies. Oh. So there I am in the left turn lane, standing next to the bike with the left turn signal on, and I push it into the gas station. So I fill it up with gas, you know? So we fill it up with gas, and then gas starts spilling over the sides of the car, because of course we know what that means. What does that mean? It means the float is sticking. So oh. the float is sticking to the bottom of the carbs because it's old. Yep. It's causing it to keep pouring fuel into the carbs so it overflows out of the overflow hole. Gotcha. Well, the way you fix that is you um, give them a gentle bump. So I start kicking it until it stops. <laughs> so I fill the thing up with gas. I kick the side of the bike a whole bunch of times, look underneath it, and start it up and ride away after pushing it into the gas station. The guys in the gas station were pretty much on the floor at this point. <laughs> Did you curse while you were kicking it? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's Son awesome. of a bitch. Thunk, 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 thunk. Okay, good. That's got it. <laughs> so, yeah, you know. So he got his present? He got his present. Was he, he, had, uh, was he, he was, even expecting it? Was it? He had no idea it was coming. Oh, my. None at I all. I have never heard of this. This is, yeah. It's always the other way around. It's always, you know, you got to fight with the wife. You got to lay out, mm-hmm. ex, you know, flow sh- charts and spreadsheets and mm-hmm. the PowerPoint presentation about economy and No, he mentions, he mentions like, I'm thinking of getting a bike. And his wife's like, hey, help me buy him a bike. Wow. I know, right? Pretty awesome. Okay, the bar is set very, very high. The bar is now set quite high. We got a package. We got a, ooh. Uh, one of our listeners, Thomas, mm-hmm. sent us a package. I have not opened it. Okay. I was thinking I'd save it for you. Okay. Because I have an allergy to anthrax. Oh, okay. So there you go. I've already got several strains of it living I, in my I beard. To, let me um, go crawl under the desk. Or oh, what is that powder? Oh, sorry. That's me. <laughs> okay. Let's see. Thomas sent us... T-shirts. T-shirts. T-shirts with... Looks like a beer logo. Beer t-shirts. Beer t-shirts. Boonrod Brewery. Singa Lager Beer. From okay. The Boonrod best word Brewery. on this shirt, Bangkok. Bangkok, yes. Boonrod Brewery. For all I know, this says rate me on the back in Thai. Yeah, it could. It's got something cool on the back. Wow, man. Who knows what it is? Wow, these are cool. Thank Thank you, you, Thomas. These are very, very cool. It's a fun Christmas present. Yay! Yay! So we got gray and you got white? Yep, yep. Sweet. All right. Mine will just be horribly stained with Todd in no time. What did you send us, other listeners? That's what we thought. <laughs> Although we did, we did get some weird crap from a few listeners. We did? Yeah, well, we've got that Google number, you know, that people can leave messages on. Oh, yeah, the voicemail. Yeah, and it's got some weird messages. Let me, let me read a few of the ones that came through weird, here. Weird messages? Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. So uh, let's see. Hey, Chad, I tried on the back of your person. Uh, That's the whole message. I want to run. I know the baggage of nurses. That sounds vaguely menacing, doesn't it? Uh, you know, this is just Google. That sounds like a threat note. This is just Google transcribing voicemails. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. This, I'm sure. Listen, I don't care if you know the baggage of nurses. I want to make that clear. Whatever you think you know about the baggage of nurses, you don't know anything about the baggage of nurses. So don't you threaten us. Hi, my name is Cassandra, and I'd have tried on the back checks first. Hello, I'd love to go to out on the docket transfers, it's. Definitely a wheeled nerd listener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got that, that level of uh, communication. Yeah, yeah. I would, comma, definitely want a ride on the back of checks first at. This that is, sounds vaguely this, like it's... It's starting to sound like something Like here. it's, yeah, okay. I'm Ken, and I'd love to read on the back of trucks versus. <laughs> I don't care where you read, dude. <laughs> 
Read anywhere you want. <laughs> Trucks versus what? <laughs> this makes no sense at all. Let's listen to them. Okay. Hey, Chuck. I'd ride on the back of your verses. Hey, I'm just calling to let Chuck know that I really, really want to climb all over his verses. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jen, and I'd love to ride on the back of Chuck's verses. Hi, my name's Cassandra, and I'd love to ride on the back of Chuck's verses. I would definitely want to ride on the back of Chuck's verses. I want to ride on the back of Chuck's verses. Like, oh my God, this is Veronica, and I would be so excited to ride on the back of Chuck's verses. Mmm, so sexy. Hello, I'd love to go for a ride on the back of Chuck's verses. Hey, riding Chuck's verses on the back. Woo! Ha! Okay. Ha! Suspicious that these all came in at once. <laughs> Listeners, I'm just going to say this. Beware of the baggage of nurses. I'm, I'm still whistling innocently. In fact, I think I'm going to need a baggage of nurses sticker for <laughs> your rear seat. We need a special graphic. Listeners, if you're, if you're artistically inclined, we'd love to see the baggage of nurses. <laughs> Design. Design. <laughs> Thank you to all those lovely ladies who, who called in. Nurses, you can leave your baggage at the door. So, yeah, okay. It's an outpouring of support for me. Mm-hmm. Would, I, I, I could use that kind of uh, mm-hmm. uplift. Yeah. I was, I was yeah. in you know, San Diego, cool. and I was talking to my oldest, bestest friend in the world mm-hmm. who is not a motorcycle rider. Mm-hmm. Hi, Paul. He listens to our show. Really? Okay. You know what he calls it? What? He calls it Todd's show that Chuck laughs in the background of. Yeah. <laughs> he said, Todd brings the meat to the show. Hi, and welcome to the Todd show with my sidekick, Chuck. And then he said, I'm the colored guy. You racist. Well, that's true. No. I'm about as ethnically diverse as, as American cheese. This is the, what year is this? 13, 12, 13s. <laughs> We're past racism. I'm not the colored guy. BMW seems to think otherwise. Although, that's not all BMW shops, apparently, huh? No, I got a a ride at one. Yes, although went, technically they weren't really being BMW at the time, were they? I went down to San Diego BMW mm-hmm. and took a test ride on a uh, Euro. <laughs> In fact, it was Paul was my monkey on the Euro. Awesome. For those who have missed previous stuff, we discovered that the reason Chuck's daughter won't go for a ride in my sidecar has nothing to do with the fact that it's a motorcycle. It's that Chuck's not piloting it. That's right. She said she would love to do uh, the tub in a Euro if Daddy was riding. If Daddy is the pilot, she's ready to go. She wants him to buy one right now. She does. She's asked several times about it. So I went down to Euro San Diego because they said they would let me ride one, and they Mm did. Awesome. How'd it go? Oh, my God. That was so much fun. It's a hoot, isn't it? I can't tell you. I flew the tub with Paul in it. <laughs> so a uh, little cooking on that right-hander, huh? Oh, my God. That was so much fun. <laughs> and he was flipping me off the whole time. Beautiful. <laughs> it was so much fun. I drifted it. Mm-hmm. It was just that thing was a... And you give me a hard time all the time. You're like, he drifts everywhere. He's, he's irresponsible and he's flying tubs and uh, bears. It was... Uh, uh, that, that thing is a hoot. It's... It's, um, you're right. It's very different than a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. It feels more, you know what it feels like? You go from a car to a motorcycle mm-hmm. and you're like, I feel so much more part of the machine, so mm-hmm. much more yeah. involved. You go to the Ural, 
that's what it's like. You feel much more involved. The oh, yeah. mural is literally like it has a, a mind of its own, and you're on a horse, and you're just you guys are having to work together, not necessarily in harmony. Mm-hmm. Well, it comes it comes from the factory with thirty five horses. Not all of mine are still alive. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, I, I, I agree. I mean, you, you see now why I was so tired after a long trip on it. I mean, the amount of work you're doing is... I totally understand. I totally get that. It was, But it was worth it. It was so oh, much fun. I know, right? <laughs> I've, I've got to do this. I've got to get a, a sidecar kind of rig thing going mm-hmm. on. Um, the price tag that I was quoted for the Amal... Oh hey, you brought a you brought a little uh, sheet of the. Oh my God, seventeen. <laughs> it's expensive. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna shoot an email to our old friend Claude and mm-hmm. s- see what he can do Ooh. for uh, maybe because re- you, you sent me that picture. Yeah, Claude has a new sidecar. It's the uh, the kind of the torpedo style sidecar yeah, that goes bullet, on old the school freedom bikes. Bullet. Yeah. yeah, designed specifically to mount to the Triumph new old styles. Yeah. Like I don't know, say a um, a Thruxton. Fuck yes. <laughs> and the Thruxton too. It's you got a pretty heavy bike, so you can get a pretty heavy sidecar like that on. It's going to stick to the road like glue. Mm-hmm. It's going to be phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Modifying yeah. the front end's easy because you don't have any like crap in the way. You can just put a leading link front end on it, and yeah. Bob's your uncle. And, uh, you know, it I looks mean... looks cool as hell. looks cool as hell. And it looks like a really nice sidecar besides. I mean, you expect that because it's Claude, but... Oh, yeah, I love the way... I mean, you mentioned, you know, what if we do the Truckatron sidecar out of wood? And I was just yep. like, but Claude. But pretty. <laughs> oh, that's the other option. I know us. We can't do this. Well, the other option is we get, yeah, we get the uh, we get a, a good frame from somewhere, from yeah. Claude, say. And then we, uh, yeah, we do the Chuck special wooden sidecar. Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> I don't want my beautiful Thruxton next to a fucking Pinewood Derby. <laughs> Come on, just, really sweet. Just saying. We'll paint it black. I, I know us. Uh-huh. You are about to have baby. Uh-huh. I'm distracted by shiny objects. Oh, right. Good point. Yeah. So we'd really actually never get past it. It'd probably just be made entirely of OSB. It would be. And held together with duct tape. It would be like a cardboard box <laughs> that we'd shape with some paper mache and duct tape. And we'd write like wheel nerds on the side of it and misspell, misspell it. it. <laughs> the E would be backwards and it would be like, oh, so cute. Did your daughter do that? No. That no, was us. No, no, that was us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Claude. I gotta be. I gotta be honest. One thing I'm actually really looking forward to is getting to be the monkey on the street. I've never been the monkey on the street. I was the monkey at the class that Vernon taught, mm-hmm. but that was in a field. I've never been a monkey on the street. Would you let me ride your Ural? Yeah, probably. Because uh, you know. So spin. what? What happened was uh, Aaron at San Diego BMW took mm-hmm. me out as I was the monkey, and he was mm-hmm. he rode me up and down, mm-hmm. and he took me into a parking lot, gave me some pointers, mm-hmm. some tips. He got in monkey, and we just rode around the parking lot until I felt pretty comfortable. Mm-hmm. Went back to the dealership, dropped yep. him off, picked up Paul. Took it away. And he's like, you know, just come back in like 15, 20 minutes, or we'll call the cops. Cool. <laughs> That's a good deal. <laughs> I'm like, all right, let's go. Yeah, the big, thing, the big thing now is it's just like with the bike, you know, riding around a parking lot in a nice, easy situation. You can totally remember all the crap. The rubber hits the road when you get into the panic situation. Yeah, yeah. And you get on the binders, and suddenly you're steering wildly left. Uh, I, I, what I, he had me try a couple specific things. He wanted me to drift it. He yep, wanted me good. to uh, try to fly the tub. So you weren't scared of it. Yep. Uh, he told me to get it up to speed and just mm-hmm. downshift it. Yep. So I could do that. <laughs> and like just kind of skid and stuff. Wicked left you off. Uh, he told me to really, he, he was a good, you know, mm-hmm. 
get the feel for this bike. You know, yep. know what it's going to do. This is what you should need to expect. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a sport bike. It's not a performance <laughs> bike. It's not a modern bike. Mm-hmm. You know, don't treat it as such. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really, re- really class act. Cool. Um, I really like the people at San Diego BMW. Especially in Urals, they had that. I sent you that picture of that one Ural. Yeah, they had the Harley seat on it. With the Harley seat. Was that comfy? It was really comfy. Because I have the seat in the garage. I got it off eBay for steel. I don't have the mounts. The mounts are expensive. The, it was really comfy. All right. And I see it was totally worth Because I sat on the, the saddle seats of the, mm-hmm. that comes from Euro. Oh. oh. Not good. Not so no, good. But that Harley was, oh, it's good. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was good. Right. It's so worth doing. And that bike Check. was going for like $8,300. Mm-hmm. Yep. The Yamal was considerably more. M- more. <laughs> more. Well, that's cool. I look forward to I look forward to having someone else to sidecar with. And we can throw, like, John and Claire in the sidecars, and then neither of them can whine. Oh, I don't know. Just shut up and get in the tub. I, I you know, if I do the Thruxton with, with Claude's bullet, Freedom Bullet, I could pick up dates in that. Yeah, you could, I wouldn't actually. Be, I wouldn't yeah. be embarrassed rolling up at a girl's house. No, not a bit of it. We got mm-hmm. something in the news. I, this came off the wire today. Make Make the wire noise. Saw this on over at uh, motorcycle.com. Mm-hmm. The NHTSA proposes minimum sound standards for electric vehicles. Oh, my God. This Don't... is because people are getting run over by them because they are goddamn idiots. They're, it, it's Yeah. So they're saying that these things need to make a minimum amount of sound because they're quiet otherwise and it's not just the the bikes it's cars too Priuses and whatnot yeah they talk about Priuses they're like it doesn't make any noise if you ever heard a car rolling across a parking lot with the engine off it goes it's a fucking multi-thousand pound vehicle rolling across pavement it makes some noise haven't you seen that video the lady that fell into the the water fountain at her shopping mall because she was looking at her smartphone yes she's an idiot She's not alone. People who get run over by cars because the cars are too quiet are idiots. This is America. People, we need to be protected. People who rear-end cars on their bikes because they haven't practiced braking are idiots. Do you notice a trend? Wait, who's the idiot we're talking about? No, I don't have a specific idiot in mind, but they're oh. out there. <laughs> oh, you're uh. talking about the guy that uh, creamed his GTL. Yeah, you know, yeah, that guy. Yeah, I that guy. Yeah, he's fiddling with his freaking little <laughs> twist thingy and rear ended a car. Yeah, you know what? He's an idiot. So loud pipes save lives. Or in this case, pipes some of, noise. Some, I, I'm, I'm like, is it going to be an MP3 sound clip that's playing out of these bikes? Well, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> Can I change it? Can I make so, it my ringtone? <laughs> so that I'm like always going down the street, like. No, no, no. It's gonna go. Yes. Okay. I've completely changed my mind. Yes. I want this now. Yes. This this is an idea whose time has come. I will buy it. Get me an electric scooter that does that. Electric bikes are now attractive. I don't care what Roland says. I want a bike that does that. This is worth it. <laughs> worth every penny. Sure, I don't care. Legislate it into law. Make it happen. Yes. Batman by law. Oh, yeah. That would be so good. Mm-hmm. So uh, Tim's back. Oh, yeah. Listener Tim. He's been writing to both us and the Pace, mm-hmm. and I've seen him skulking on boards. He's on Beginner Bikers. Well, he everybody basically everyone's told him the exact same thing we told him when he looks at the Funduro. He's like, I'm a really tall guy, and I'm looking for a 650, and it should be a single. And everybody's like, KLR! <laughs> Duh! <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and he's like, oh, I don't know if I want the Kellar. I want a bike I really like. I want something that, you know. You can't see it when, you're, when it's under your butt. That's all I'm saying. Well, you know, you can say that, but the girl, when you turn the lights off. But, you know, you still know. Mm. You still know. Eh. There's, it's even in the back of your head. You're like, oh, yeah, this looks just like my old Uncle Freddy. And, <laughs> oh, that's just, and the mustache is there. I can feel it kind of scratching. And, and, Chuck, and, Chuck, and, Chuck, what? come back. No, what? No. Come back from your bad place, I'll be Chuck. good. But yeah, I guess I suppose it's true. A bike's got to speak to you. But uh, A bike is such a subjective choice. Mm. It's such a personal choice. I suppose that's true. If you were just doing nothing but going for the bike that makes sense, we'd all drive minivans because no bike makes sense. The KLR makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Do you hear that? The KLR makes sense. It's. Sensible. I'm there with them, though. I don't want to ride a KLR. <laughs> uh, you know, if the V-Strom grenaded tomorrow and I was low on money, I would get a Rat Pack KLR in a heartbeat. I, uh, I Preferably just... with body panels that don't match. I, I don't want the KLR, man. I just, I just I, Even the newer ones... You know, they tried to I actually like the old tanky ones better. I I just I, I just don't want the KLR. Mm-hmm. To me, I don't know. It just it doesn't speak to me. Yep. Um, and that's fair. I think that's where Tim's coming from. Yeah. And, but you know, he also said in his email, he, he, "Okay, I gotta go look at one. I gotta go sit on one. Gotta, I gotta at least try sit it on it. Yeah. I mean, at least try it out. Yep. Find someone with one and take it for a test. Yeah. Go around the parking lot with it. Go around the parking lot. Yeah." Yeah, if you drop it, it's not like they're going to be, no, my paint. They, they might even thank you. Yeah, you're like, eh. <laughs> yeah, that scratch now matches the one on the other side. Thanks. Perfect. Yeah, Thanks, that's, dude. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, try it out. I mean, eh, maybe once you, you get in, you you know, mm-hmm. or, you know get on it. Then you'll be into you, it. Yeah, you'll be into it. Yep. I wouldn't, but, you know, that's just me. I don't know. Fucking bike. Well, you know, what? if you were worried about scratches on your KLR... You go out and buy some heavy-duty uh, protection equipment for it. Oh, yeah? Like what? Go to TrueTech and spend twice the value of the bike on it. <laughs> or, you know, you could check out Altrider, who makes all sorts of hard parts. Oh, yeah. Okay, we're on with Jeremy LeBreton. Jeremy is the boss man of Altrider, the adventure supply companies. They're with TrueTech, Twisted Throttle. They were at the uh, IA International Motorcycle Show with mm-hmm. some pretty cool-looking stuff. Jeremy was doing presentations about adventure touring in general. Mm-hmm. And I got to watch him while he was, you know, kind of presenting it to an audience that was waiting to look at Ducati Girls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a tough crowd, man. It, it was interesting always having them stack in right at the end. It was cool watching you muscle that GS around. Yeah, that's one of Jimmy Lewis's things. He, uh, You know, if you know what you're doing, you can be a small person and, and be just fine with it. One of the things he does is he teaches you how to hold the bike up with one finger and walk all the way around the bike so that you believe that that's actually true. And now Jimmy Lewis does the Adventure uh, Motorcycle Schools? Correct. Some of, For those who do know and don't know, Jimmy's... Had an interesting racing career, but more of us would know him just from his editorial role. He was involved with several of the major magazines, but his last role was at Dirt Rider as the editor. He's since uh, wrapped up with that magazine and now is focusing a lot more effort and energy on his adventure school. He still is sought after for training the at the pro level for Dakar because that's one of the things the Americans struggle with. We're fast, but we're not good with navigation. And He's always had the school but never really focused because he's been so busy and now he's really putting a lot of effort into it. Chuck, should we stop for directions? Boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which way is east? <laughs> 
<laughs> so, Jeremy, you've been into bikes pretty much your whole life. I didn't grow up riding motorcycles. Uh, oh, okay. I like to think that if I did, I actually perhaps would have had a racing career or used that excuse anyhow. You but, mean, uh, it says here you were born on the Dakar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. On, on one of the specials. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Born in Chicago, raised by a single mom with three boys. And so any time, you know, as soon as I, I acquired uh, making money, mowing lawns, really did try to buy go-karts, minibikes, anything that was burning fossil fuel. Ultimately, every time mom said, get that thing, that you know, take that exactly back to where wherever you got that from, you know, just doing the best she could to keep the, the three kids alive, seeing mm-hmm. as they were all boys. <laughs> so I never really even knew how to ride. And it was 18 and Finally, after looking and looking and looking, my first bike was a Yamaha Virago 525, no less, because uh, I wanted to go for that, oh, that cool Harley Ooh, look. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's the buckhorns, man. Ah, yeah. it brings you it all together. It. it was way outside of the city. Had a buddy drive me out there so I could get, you know, get back. We had to, of course, it was a, it was a chick's bike. She didn't even ride it. It was just at a service shop getting, you know, the carbs done. And so we had to wait for her to come down and do the deal. And I'm sitting there looking at it with my buddy going, oh, isn't this thing too cool? And (laughs) (laughs) enough time rolls by that all of a sudden I'm going, fuck, we're sitting in there and it's 10 minutes in. And I'm like, I'm a little terrified that I got to ride this thing all the fucking way back to the city. I don't think I can do it. (laughs) I mean, that just goes to show how little I did know about riding. Of course, I bought the bike and within four days, I'm literally going down the interstate going, uh, 103 miles. That's 103. That's it. That's all this thing's got. (laughs) Now, did you know how to ride a bike at that point when you first, when you were picking up at the service station or was that someone had to show you how the clutch work? No, certainly knew how the clutch worked, but really had maybe, you know, you could probably count the amount of time on a bike within, you know, hours on your hand that consisted of finding a a friend of a friend who had a uh, actually, it was a YZ. I still have all the stitches in my, you know, the scars in the front of my face. The YZ125 ridden in the back of a, you know, a warehouse parking lot, no helmet, taking off and, and splitting my face wide open and then going, wow, I'm into this. And that was about, actually, after getting the bike, then I took off to see the ocean, go see California, go west and just with some soccer bags and a sleeping bag and uh, headed west. And long story short, never came back. I ended up still living in Seattle some 12 odd years later. I, co- I bring this all back full circle to say, I thought I knew how to ride because after that i did a study abroad program at karloff university in prague i worked a deal with an anarchist where i worked with him worked for him for a month and got his mz 660 for one month and i left out of munich and rode to slovenia and then all the way to france so approximately it's like 6800 kilometers in in one month and never paid to sleep every night i would go up into the orchards or into the farms and i was always trying to hide so i'm riding this <laughs> as far into the woods as i could because Americans were so used to private property, so I'm thinking I'm going to get in trouble if I get caught. I'm doing this no-budget trip. Every fucking time I went to go camping, I would crash that bike. I'm like, I had the, I had act, I'm in the Alps. I could have had the most killer off-road adventures on a very competent bike. The MZ650 is a German chassis with a Yamaha 660 single in it, and and I. Barely every time I would drop the bike in the grass. My point is, I did not know how to ride at all. And it was years later meeting a, a metal fab guy, Andy Eide, who really literally said, uh, hey, if you get a modern machine, then perhaps I'll take you out riding with the girls. You know, and, and that, <laughs> that was the uh, that was the beginning of it. Some maybe ten, maybe seven, seven or eight years ago of properly learning how to ride. And end of the day, that's in the dirt. You know, you really, you know, to, to learn how to ride is to get outside of your comfort zone and you can't go crashing multiple times on the street, but you can go, when we go dirt bike riding, 
hey, we're crashing four times during that that ride. I mean, that's the fun of it. That's 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 the and that's where the learning happens as well. So that's where your passion is is the whole adventure motorcycle scene. You got it. I mean, I hate to say this, but you know, the the, the public streets, especially in America, are extremely dangerous. Right? There's no recognition for it. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Seattle's a very hostile city for riding in the street. And so, yes, I still commute and ride every day, but it's the off-road piece or getting away where there's no polizia and uh, and the fun can be had. You know, you can throw the bike down, and it's not the end all. It's literally just pick this thing back up and let's go get in trouble again. Any interest in doing track stuff? You know, um, it's funny. There's a cool dealer that lives up north in Skagit County, and they had Bob Hanna up there, Hurricane Hanna. And so I loaded up the Sprinter and took a whole bunch of guys up there. And he he has what's called Warehouse Racing Association. So as you know, all the sales have fallen off. So he's got this mega warehouse that's empty, and it's mm-hmm. a polished concrete floor. And they shave the, the tires on KX110s, and everyone's on the same bike, and they set up fields, and you race in a warehouse with polished concrete and it really was a big learning experience as far as body position and dragging your knees so wow <laughs> certainly got me excited we just did that and so now everybody's going nuts about uh, finding kx110s and, and doing it but uh, it was an eye-opener about you know actual road racing and track days and body position and how just a little bit of moving your ass on the seat went from the bike losing traction to actually dragging your knee and getting around the corners. It was quite an eye-opener. So what, what bikes are you riding? Uh, you know, so probably spend the majority of the time on an F800, but I just picked up a, a super clean, essentially brand new Honda 250X. I've got an older, uh, well, a two-year-old Husaberg FE390, you know, the 70-degree uh, motor. We've got a older 950 KTM and uh, an R1200 in here. And then we just picked up, we just did a deal with Husqvarna on the new tier. The the local guy had a, a demo unit. So I talked to the uh, the director there and they, they hooked us up on the demo unit. So we just got that TR650. Cool. So now you guys are making, uh, Altrider sells a bunch of other people's stuff, but you also make a lot of your own protective kit for bikes, right? Yeah, actually, it's kind of the other way. We, we predominantly do Alt-Rider, so it's our own house brand, and, and only maybe 20%. There's a, a small handful of American brands that are that are unique, because I, I can't compete on the commodity level, right? I can't sure, yeah. sell GoPros or anything like that. So it's the, the stuff that we do is more like Rotopacks, mm-hmm. smart ideas. The Rotopacks is a brilliant idea. Now we're actually making a much more closer partnership with those guys. We inter- interface with their fuel cell. You guys know that Rotocast fuel cell? I haven't seen the fuel cell. Actually, I went I went to the dude's house when he was still very small to buy the cans for the Ural. Ah, <laughs> No kidding. He's right here in Utah. That's too funny. Yeah. So, so smaller brands like, and then you know, uh, Rocks Risers and and uh, those sort of guys is the the other stuff. But no, predominantly we really uh, everything is pr- the Alt Rider brand, and so we do all the engineering and development work here in our Seattle office, and everything is manufactured in the U.S. predominantly on the West Coast here. That's what we do. What brought around Alt Rider? Were you like, hey, I I need to put a cage on my bike or? Uh, good question. I actually worked in the industry for uh, many years, and up until now, there really wasn't an American brand. There's a couple of mom and pop or little garage mm-hmm. operations uh, doing a few things, but really, there is no American product. And it wasn't really that that was the driver. It really was this, the, the few options that were on the market. There, there clearly was room for improvement mm. um, on on really a lot of levels. One. Base. The first one, the foremost, is the the fitment. I don't know if you guys have gotten into installing some of the uh, the other kind of uh, products that got imported and, and are, are imported, but 
wow, you really got to get your cheater bar out, do some bending, do some grinding to get these things to install. And that just was the, the industry standard and nobody really balked about it, which is kind of crazy. But if that's what's available, that's what's available. So mm-hmm. making the installation process you know, work, and so that's down to tolerances and your build approach and your design approach. But then the other aspect is, is making the stuff look gorgeous. You know, end of the day, these are our bikes and let's dial them up. And I think some of the other uh, European brands that have come in really come from a very engineering approach. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. You know, uh, if you say, hey, build Crash Bar and you do it the most efficient manner possible, but you're leaving out a lot of aesthetics. And so we really do spend a lot of time and fight between engineering and design to make sure that the, the lines complement the bike that they're getting installed upon. I, I just felt that there really was an opportunity and, and what better thing to do is to work in your passion. And that's, I always have to remember, even as, as hard as it gets, is like, wow, what a great job I have. I work in the industry. Right. You could be an accountant instead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, what was the first about. thing Alt-Rider rolled out? What would you launch with? You know, that's funny. Nobody knows this, but and you think they would, but I guess they don't. It was the V-Strom crash bars. Mm-hmm. I, I remember they were, there, was, there was the V-Strom crash bars, and you made those. A-Moto stuff eventually came out. Well, they had the skid plate, and people were always trying to get your crash bars and their yep. skid plate together. And Yep. You got it. Yeah. And oh, then, cool. uh, yeah, so it's funny. It all started with the V-Strom and then quickly moved to the BMW stuff. And Because they have money. <laughs> <laughs> but we had a huge resurgence uh, when they relaunched that 650. Now we just, I mean, I was shocked to see the volume. And then it, it some reason, somehow it also upkicked the 1,000 uh, unit sales as well. I'm thinking probably a lot of people were selling 1,000s to get the new 650. And, of course, they made a deal with SW Motec to do the accessories on the bikes. But, uh, you know, and so there's some education there on, uh, you know, getting the feelers. Because at a price point, it's still actually more affordable instead of buying that accessory package from Suzuki. But there's education and branding and getting your name out there that's, uh, you know, all of the many challenges with a new brand. I think the only thing I have that's a Suzuki accessory on my Strom is the key. Yeah, uh, yeah, no surprise. It, it's really shocking to, to find, and, and that was a concern, you know, as more and more KTM was one of the leaders to really capitalize on accessories and make more revenue on the accessories than the actual bikes. And they started that a couple of years ago with the power parts, and then everyone's eyes finally came to that realization. And now accessories is a huge revenue stream. Well, it's growing for all of the OEMs. And so that, you know, becomes a real challenge that needs to be analyzed on a yearly basis and being aware of what the OEMs are doing because, you know, it could have a major impact on the future of Alt-Rider. But I'm still just staggered, shocked to see the build quality or the selections and choices that the OEMs make. It's still clearly there is an opportunity in a, a certain marketplace for the, the aftermarket guys to uh, mm-hmm. function in. There's a more powerful accountant than the OEMs than in, in yours. Yeah, you know, I... <laughs> I don't know because they certainly make some some amazing some some amazing machines and how the hell they've got such great engineering on the machine and then they you know they contract out most of it but still it's like what happened and, and who just right. dropped, you know it's like almost an afterthought right and you talk to some of the guys in the OEMs they're very passionate about their bikes so it's it's not the the guys who are working on the bikes it's Mm-mm. you know it's somebody who's doing math that's it's their problem. Mm-hmm. Well, sadly, the other thing that's really, you know, up until now, only just about a maybe a half a year ago, actually, it would have been Long Beach last year, we've had some of our first OEM discussions, everybody from Ducati, when we did the the uh, Marley African Road Trip project with them, which sadly never made it as big as as the long way round, long way down. It was, it was another one of David Alexandrian's projects, but it came oh. at, at the end of 
uh, or as we know it, TV is, is is a place to lose a lot of money now instead of make money. Everyone's <laughs> trying to figure out how to do it. So, um, but that that was our first introduction to the factory at Ducati and and learning that process. And then since uh, have had a number of conversations with other OEMs. And you quickly, I've learned now. I don't even mess around with the U.S. office. Well, granted, it's a flattering proposal. If we're not talking at the global level. One, the volume, the numbers don't make sense, but also because sadly America doesn't ride motorcycles. We're very uneducated. But secondly, the American offices have very little input as to what's going on. And they, they are as frustrated, if not further, that they find out that the public finds out more than they do. And it's just like, why would they have such disconnects between their sister operations in America or other countries? So now I, I got to ask something. Eric gave us a pretty detailed outline to follow with you, and I can't figure something out. Is he trying to direct us, or is he trying to keep you on task? <laughs> it probably comes from his, uh, just from working here, because clearly we're way off task, and uh, that's my fault. I've, I've we're got, all about off task here at Wheel Nerds. I'm, I've got a buzz going. I'm directly on task. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> mm. I want to know something. Yes. Versus. I, I I've know. Got, I've got one. I know. It's it's kind of sad. The reality is, I, I've got I, money. We even have a really killer. It, it, it never made it past prototype stage. The skid plate. Oh. oh. Uh, and and uh, I will say this though. After now, we we opened our operations in the Netherlands, and we've got much more exposure over in Europe as well as I've spent quite a bit of time there. And that was a big eye opener to see the number of unit sales over there. Not so much in the versus configuration versus the ERN or the mm-hmm. ER6 model. Six N, yeah, yeah they sell a lot of units. And so that was a real eye-opener that we need to revisit and get back to completing that design. But uh, Who who are we talking to that was saying the versus was big in, in Asia? Uh, was, I think that was, that was that the TourTech guys. Yeah. yeah, he was saying that. Yeah, because they're starting to roll out versus Well, it's a big stuff. luxury bike in Asia, right? I would be curious, though, because Asia, and it's interesting, that we never would have thought we'd have so much activity there. And we now are, have, have over 17 international distributors. But Asia wow. also, though, there's still major limitations on displacement. So I'd be shocked that any – I mean, there's no way they're doing anywhere near what Europe is because of the tariffs and the ma- major barriers for anything anything above 500 cc's is considered outlandish you know, mm. in most Asian countries. Where, where is your best market? Uh, right now, it's America. We did an amazing job uh, securing market share in a very short time. But really, end of the day, the real market is Europe. We do not ride motorcycles in this country. A perfect example would be our 1200 unit sales here in America we did you know roughly last year 2800 uh, 1200 uh, units and in Germany alone you're talking 58 to 6000 units and that's just the small country of Germany and then right next to it is Italy that always falls in number 2 except for this terrible year and Italy is always to within 90% of, it, of Germany's activity and then you quickly move next door or back up north to UK and France tend to be uh, next uh, and so in that small pocket of the five major EU countries, at a minimum, that's a conservative uh, five to six times the uh, you know the marketplace that the U.S. is. And GSs, I mean, our twelve hundreds are comparatively pretty thick on the ground here in the states. No, well, they're not though. Well, compared to other bikes, if in you the think states, of the total, total, total sales, you're talking the CBR six hundred, that sort of thing. Oh yeah, right. Whereas. The global top selling bike was the R1200 GS, yet in America, it doesn't even get in the top 50. Because Billy's are buying bikes. Mm -hmm. That's right, yeah. Not William Esquire. Right. <laughs> oh, it's a shame. You know, you spend some time in the industry or in the council meetings, and uh, and they're you know they tout themselves on we sell the most horsepower. 
So they are true, actually. They, they, they measured by that, but that's not even unit sales. It's the wrong way of looking things. And I'm glad to finally see that we've got these small displacement bikes coming out because up until just a two years ago, what the hell would you teach your, your friend or your girlfriend to ride a motorcycle on? Um, because they're, they're, you have a TW200 and, uh, and a, uh, the, the Rebel 250 and uh, you know a Sherpa. And other than that, what the hell? You're going to teach your girlfriend or a, even a guy his first time to learn how to ride is on a you know 80 horsepower 650 motorcycle that weighs 450 pounds. Right. Hey, you know, you raise a really good point I want to ask you about. So what we're seeing now, like in the past year, two years, is everyone's trying to jump on the BMW's gravy train with the 1200. Mm-hmm. You got Triumph coming out with the Explorer. Versus is pushing a, a leader bike. Suzuki's going to bring back the leader strong. Oh, the beak. It's it, everyone's trying to kind of muscle their way into what's been BMW's pie, and I'm just kind of wondering: do you, do you think maybe we're going to get into like a CC war there? I mean, people are going to push that CC number up and up like they did with the cruisers, and and what do you think of these land yachts then at that point? Right, it's a really good question. I, you know, I, I have no idea where the market will really go, but I think one thing that's again, and I hate to redo this, but it's such an eye opener for me. That's the American market. But over mm-hmm. in Europe, you've got the Tenere 660, which is an excellent bike and a high-volume selling unit that's a new design that just doesn't get imported into the U.S. No, it's, instead we get the 1200 Super yeah. Tenere. So yeah. you've got a lot of killer KTM mid-size 500s and 690s, the Duke. And even they have a Duke 125. They are going to bring the Duke 350 in, which is really really cool but there's a lot of bikes that we just don't even see man and so mm-hmm. in america motorcycles are not a functional part of of society it's just a luxury item whereas the rest of the world your grandma rides a motorcycle your daughter rides your your wife rides and why because gas isn't isn't cheap space is a, is a real issue they don't have such a high valuation on life as a result man <laughs> No, you know, we don't ride motorcycles in this country. And, you know, you have people trying to run you off the road if you're trying to split lanes. What the hell? That should be mandatory. I mean, we should be rewarded for doing that. You know, the bus lane should be open to motorcycles. So many things. Where do European adventure riders do it? Are they heading south to Africa? Are they just, are they heading toward Russia? Yeah. Are they staying within so their own a, that's borders? A good, that's a really good point because, as you, as you may or may not know, all of those European brands, and that was a huge eye-opener as well as, you know, a couple of years ago, they are completely forbidden to ride off-road in germany you know completely and everyone's like what that's it what you start thinking about the population density like the east coast they just don't even have the land to do it and that's kind of one of the things this tasted.car we've got uh, andrea coming from moto.it europe's largest publication and and one of the coolest things is is getting the europeans to come to america and have that experience because we just take it for granted and, and or we don't ever get out there over in europe absolutely they all take the boat south and they go to um, the tip of africa because going east to russia is a bit more complicated a little bit more dangerous and it takes a hell of a lot more time taste of dakar you say interesting yeah. is that sort of spicy with a with an underhint of a red leather chair and some sand mm, sand yeah. we host these three events across the country we try to try to touch everybody we're a small little operation but uh, we really do try to get out there so we do the taste of dakar in death valley we do an event in pennsylvania called the conserve the ride which is a pretty epic event and then almost our flagship is this uh, the whole rainforest ride where we get special permissions to um, ride in the uh, whole rainforest which is uh, out on the peninsula it's surreal and the, we work with the tribe there and the, and the chief's sister actually cooks for us but to is go she cute yeah no but <laughs> 
but, but the uh, the food is epic because it's freshly caught salmon right there. They've got the rights to the land, and then we do elk one of the evenings because that's the in the fields there. They they the that's where the elk graze, and and uh, then the other big thing is we always get multiple sacks of oysters and pretty much every evening we just have the fires going with the uh, oysters just constantly being uh, spread out and uh, we're just mowing oysters and there's something to do with bikes here right yeah so rolling <laughs> into that car and the whole thing is so often we hear the, the the common statements you guys have probably heard them as well hey man i don't have anybody to ride with and that's one of the biggest things we do based upon the way that you come to our events and the name tags and having people interact with each other. You're forced to build a relationship there because all too often as well, like, hey, man, my buddy's riding motorcycle. You go out and get an adventure bike. They may have no interest in being dragged up a dirt hill up a mountain just because they ride motorcycles and they're your friend. They may not be into this same sort of uh, uh, this adventure type of adventure. Yes. Adventure, yes, <laughs> and or getting in trouble, but uh, <laughs> I had to, I had to kind of drag them into it with the strom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you give it. So that's a great way to to one introduce these guys. The second thing we're always hearing is, "Hey, I don't know where to ride," and that is true. Oftentimes, I get emails and and really getting these guys a um, a legal and a place to ride off road. And then that last one is always sometimes never admitted, but it's I don't know how to ride. So these three events across the country, we really emphasize and. and Really, this becomes a call to action. No longer do those excuses really apply. I think it's worked out well. We get a, a, a really strong feedback as far as uh, people's uh, you know reviews and, and how, what their experiences were. So Taste of a New Car specifically, the past two years we've been lucky enough to work with Jimmy Lewis. He's one of the few guys that is that was an extremely talented racer and fast guy. But who can actually teach and communicate? To you know that there's a rare, rare that those two traits come together. Jimmy Lewis does the layout of the course, and it'll break out into beginner, intermediate, and advanced. And I really want to emphasize that we do encourage the beginners to come. They tend to be actually the guys who have the best time because, of course, their learning curve is the most vertical. So it's a pretty simple format. We all get out there on Friday, and if anybody wants to take. Jimmy's class, he actually offers a heavily discounted version of his adventure school um, the Friday, and he will do that Thursday if Friday fills up as well. So Friday night starts off with just dinner and drinks. Saturday morning, we'll get up early, we'll do a breakfast, and then Jimmy will do a, a clinic because, of course, he's not going to do a full-on class with a bunch of guys. You can't realistic uh, do a class like that. Then we break off into our three groups. Um, we go out, do the first half of the ride, and then the lunch is catered out in the – it'll either be done out at the desert or at Jimmy's property. And then we'll do the second half of the ride. And then when we get back, Jimmy's got three sets of contests that'll be interesting for all skill levels. He's really good about doing that sort of thing. Kind of the highlight of that evening is going to be Johnny Campbell's going to come. This is him coming straight from having race.car, which you know they're in the process right now. Right racing, now, yeah. Racing.car. Mm. And the, the even cooler is he thinks he's going to be just fine on the timing to have the container back in order to have the actual factory race bike at the event. So and, and, when is this happening? And that's the last weekend of February. So that's uh, February 22nd through to the 24th, all included for 269 bucks. So it's funny. Most of the California guys are going, so how much is the $269? How much is the food? Well, no, nope, that's your meals. That's your training. That's your um, roots. And that's uh, all you can drink in the evenings. And yes, we and this is happening in Death Valley. Outside of Death Valley, outside technically Death Valley. by uh, permitting laws, it is outside or on the uh, perimeter of Death Valley. Okay. Mm. Now, what what bikes 
can people bring? What 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 are you looking for profile wise? Yep. So what we're looking for is a 650 cc and larger. Certainly last year we had um, guys under KTM dual sported out and arriving and having a good time. But really the routes in the the weekend is set up for the large displacement adventure bikes. So that's pretty much everything. Even all the way down to we've had uh, multi stratas come and do the event. But I would imagine uh, I would encourage the more dual sport oriented. I would highly encourage knobby tires. They're absolutely not required, but it will add to the fun factor because it'll take the terror out of the day. So now, uh, do you go on any really narrow trails? Because I got a bike which has nice knobby tires and goes great through sand and everything else, but it's, uh, it's not very narrow. So this this event being the desert, yeah, the only thing that'll get a little technical would be the advanced route, and even the technical never gets narrow. So yeah, lots. It, 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 I wouldn't worry about it getting too narrow. That's for sure. He wants to know if he can bring his Euro. Yeah, I, I, actually, you would be completely fine on two of the routes with the uh, Euro. Because he takes his Euro everywhere. Which which unit do you have? Got the patrol. Right on. The uh, the importers right across the uh, the lake here uh, in um, Kirkland or or Bellevue, I believe. Uh, yep. The Euro product. Yeah. Oh yeah, I do a lot of business through them in parts. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so could I do this on my versus? You could absolutely. You could. The versus actually, I would think is way more competent than the uh, than the Multistrada. Yeah, you know, I, I remember this from IMS when you were giving your presentation. You made a big deal there also about wheel size. How, how big of a deal is it? I mean, that for me, that was one of the things I was kind of wiggling on when I bought the Versus between the – because I was looking at that or the Strom. Yeah. So, yeah, your Versus is a hell of a lot more agile and would handle a road circuit or road racing way better than the V-Strom or the KTM 990, let's say, is a more dramatic difference because that's mm. got the 21 and you've got the 17s. But really, and I you know, I say that thing in the presentation about if you ever get the chance to, and it sounds like you guys have the perfect opportunity, is to ride your bike on a gravel road, you know, a heavy gravel road, not something hard-packed and, de- and re- you know, resembling a street, but a real gravel road, and then get on uh, the V-Strom, you will that's a great ex- example to really start to feel this difference because you can talk about it all day but until it's seat of the pants and you can connect your mind to this difference wow that larger diameter reduces the leverage asked of the traction point so therefore it's so much more planted and stable than the versus smaller wheel and then you take it to the next step which is cornering and that's where you really start to notice it because you can only go so fast around the corner with the 17s because both tires are going to start to drift whereas the larger front diameter on the V-Strom will remain planted in just the rear and start thinking about flat trackers, how they go around corners, mm-hmm. it's off-road riding versus street riding where it's 100% traction or right on the edge at all times. And then it, it gets even exaggerated further than that. You know, I've, I've had times where we had equal level riders really uh, hauling ass and pushing the bikes on an R12 and a 990 or the KTM. And coming through the corners, that R12 will always start to pull wider and unable to hold the speed because it's got the 19-inch front wheel versus the 21 on the KTM. So you're saying that I could blame me being slow on the wheel size? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Nice. <laughs> all right. So be sure to check out Jeremy's site, Altrider. Altrider.com. And now have all the info for Taste of the Car, right? Yeah, and you can just show up on the site. You can write in the search bar, just type Dakar or Taste of Dakar, and the event page will come up. It also lists all the information about Jimmy's schools. And the last thing I didn't mention, which is really cool that he's doing this year, because a lot of guys have been asking him on ADVWriter.com, 
hey, we just want the navigation training, but not at the pro level. (laughs) (laughs) I really want to stop getting lost. (laughs) You're going to be able to sign up if you want to do the Dakar training. That starts Sunday after the Taste of Dakar. And you will literally, it's it's a two and a half day training where you will be doing all the classroom work right next to the pros. You'll actually go race right next to the pros, except for your route, of course, will be some substantially shorter route, and you can do it on your big uh, 650 or greater bike, and the pros are going to be doing the bigger circuit, but the idea is the timings will put you guys through the same checkpoints similarly, so it's a real unique opportunity, and it also starts to subsidize the training for the pros, so the idea being, hey, look, you're only a pro because of these fans, so you better kick down and start loving the fans back. So anyways, the information's on there about the um, the rally training, but that's a real unique opportunity that will that certainly really cost cool. you twice as much next year that he does this. So if any of you guys have any interest in you know really getting some Dakar experience and or just hanging out with the guys that really do this sort of thing, that's a really unique opportunity to uh, certainly look into. Cool. Get in so on the, it now. The end of February, Taste of Dakar, check it out on Altrider. Jeremy, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to be with us. Hey man, it was a pleasure to meet you guys. It's a shame we didn't actually physically connect down at the, uh, the Long Beach so you guys sound like a great group of guys. I, I've got like one blurry picture of you. That, that's all I got. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the weird thing is it's in your hotel room. Shh. Yeah. Shut up. All right. Thanks, man. Hey, appreciate it, you guys. So there you go. Events, hard stuff. Events, hard stuff. That taste of the car sounds pretty cool. Mm, yeah, it's interesting. I like I like the, the the notion of combining the rally with a little bit of training in the dirt. I mean, that that's really appealing to me. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, we like pushing information, anything that pushes information. Yeah, yeah. And well, and, you know, booms. frankly, I'm sort of rubbish in the dirt. So. <laughs> that's why you got a Ural. I cheat. <laughs> How do you handle it in the dirt? Um, either by completely the seat of my pants and good natural balance, or I cheat and have a third wheel. <laughs> Take your pick. It's all good. I, my, I suck. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm bad in the dirt. <laughs> That's all right. If you have a sidecar, it's not a problem. Uh, we got to talk about some classifieds. Oh, my God. We've got a whole list of them here. we got some beauties. So Charlie sends us this first one, and he's pretty sure it'll buff out. Ooh. I have a 1992 EX500 that is one owner. I hit a fence post (laughs) less than five miles an hour, and it has sat since. Front fairing is cracked, and due to the age, side fairings are cracked. Not because of the fence post. Uh I have bought some new pieces, but never had time to finish the project. The engine has less than 4,000 miles on it, several of them through a post. It has been inside of a garage once. (laughs) Carbs and gas tank need to be cleaned out. Engine is worth more than that. Have two seats and many additional parts to give. Wow, so I'm guessing he bought this new in 1992... Uh-huh. And uh I like the fact that the front end is not entirely straight. He fails to mention that. Wow. Yeah, see the the normally on the front end uh the the forks are in line with the rest of the bike. Yeah, yeah, this in is, this case not so much. Right. I dated nice a snowblower. I dated a girl that looked like that once yeah, with her yeah. nose mm-hmm. like yeah. yeah. Wow. And he well 400 bucks. Mm-hmm. For, now, if uh, I might do 400 for that big honking snowblower next to me. But, you know. <laughs> Although, I don't know if I can fit that one in the sidecar. Wow. Yeah. Well, the funny thing about it, he's, he says he's got a nicer looking seat, but if you look at the last picture, there's a seat sitting next to it. And while it is nicer... It's not as ripped. It's not good. Wow. And that's just all primer. It'll, it'll buff out. Oh, you buff this out. There won't be much left. Yeah, that's what I mean. You can buff that bike right out, and, and there'll just be nice grass underneath it. So Charlie's selling the multi to pick this up. Yeah, I think so. Seems oh, good, idea. good deal. Good yep, deal. Yep, yep, yep. 
Okay, so Chad sent us this sweet chopper. Ooh. It's a 1973 Honda chopper for $800. Mm. $800 runs and rides. This bike is a $2,500 bike. I just bought it last summer for $2,800. I, uh, I am bad at math. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I need the money to get my Harley back on the road. That's the only reason I'm selling it for $800. This bike is more than Harley. No, no, it's more Harley than This thin bike Honda. is more Harley than Honda. Okay. $800 is the low east. The uh, – okay, wait. I'm obviously reading this in the wrong Wait voice. a second. Where's, where's this from? It's in Missouri. Missouri. Okay. okay. $800 is the low – I would go. I started at $1,500 and this bike is well worth $2,500 and only because I need the money. So if I get the money before you get the bike, you don't get the bike. Oh, this guy's – is huge and he's going to kick my wow. ass. <laughs> he's a big fella. I, I take rocks. back everything I just said. Uh, very, very fun Bach. I weigh 300. I just can't help it. 350 and I have taken it up to 75 bit per hour. It handles like a dream. It glides perfectly. The only bad the rock carb needs a rebeat kit. It only costs $20 on that there e-bike. Or you can pick it up at any Honda dealership. And the only reason that is is because when I took the car apart to clean it, I dropped <laughs> one few jets down the seat pop and can't get it out. So my fingers were a little greasy. I had a chili dog or two that day. And I could start the box for you and even ride around my yard. If you're all interested, please give me a call. No low ballers. I've got to buy me some chili dogs. Oh, this guy's oh so gonna kick. So gonna kick my ass. Wow. Well, you know, you know, it was the whole thing was it was reading like a pretty normal ad, right? Up until the I dropped the carb and the jet fell down the seat pipe. <laughs> what? Chili dogs are greasy. Yeah, I mean, you can't re- get those fingers no, in there. You know? No. I mean, wow. Look at those meat hooks he's got, man. <laughs> he's gonna use him to rip your head off. Yeah, yes. My name is Todd. That's T O D D. Now, in fairness, the, the actual chop job on this looks pretty darn good. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a decent bike. Yeah, it's a nicely chopped bike. It's got some good paint on it. The seat is paisley. What is? It's viney. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, some, there, there's some questionable choices in, uh, pa- in paint designs and stuff. But like, you know, what, I mean, the paint, the pinstriping and stuff. That's it's what it says on the tin. It's a Honda 350 chopper. I, uh, yeah. you know, I, the carb jet's kind of important. It looks cool. Does what it says on the tin. It's got a fuel jet down the seat pipe. In case you, you know, need a spare and you have one of those, like, magnetic wrench you do, you just, you get it down there and you can pull it out. And you'd be like, thank God, I have an extra jet. <laughs> oh, please. That's box of parts? No, no. Seat pipe of Wait, parts. Wait, what the hell is that? What? Sangal Egos Pert Loud. Sangal Egosost Pretty Loud. I think it's pretty loud. Sangal Egos Pretty Loud. I have no idea. Sangal Seat. Mm-hmm. So he okay. He's asking for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He kind of walked into that one. He still had the chili dog while he was typing this out. This is a man. <laughs> He's typing one-handed. Who loves his chili dogs. <laughs> and I'm with him because goddamn it, chili. Oh, dog I love is, me some chili. It's dog. a thing of beauty. But come on. <laughs> All right. What's next? Something. Oh, it's got to be, be something it's better. Be better. Yeah. It's from Peter. <laughs> it's a trike frame and title. <laughs> look! 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 <laughs> It's a trike frame, has title, no motor. It's got a title, all right. It's got a, 
I think I think that yellow dog next to it that's peeing on it owns it. I understand that's how dogs do such things. The dog is selling the trike frame for two hundred fifty dollars. Yep, <laughs> and has uh, gotten a good pee on it. Wait, is that a handlebar or is that a lawnmower handlebar? I, you know, it looks a bit like a lawnmower handlebar. Holy crap! Now the rest of it looks a little like part of a sledge or a drag plow. I don't really know. <laughs> it's got no back end. <laughs> And it's asymmetrical. It has no back end wheels, just one front wheel, a little bit of dog pee. <laughs> Why would you need a title for this? Uh, what would be a title of Thing? <laughs> Here's the title for Thing. <laughs> has title, no motor. Title for what? The forks? <laughs> this just, VIN matches these forks. I just need a VIN number for my bike. Can I buy yours? I tell you what, this is a bargain if you do that. <laughs> Holy cow, man. The dog's pissing on it. <laughs> that is the picture. That really brings uh, the ball. This, this, this picture's going front and center on uh, this post, folks. You need to... You, you need to drink this all in. And it looked like he peed on it in the front first. Well, he's making sure everybody knows that it's his. <laughs> that dog has the title. Don't sell this boss. I need it. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Wow. So, uh um, our last one. The last one is a Ugh. 1975 Kawasaki Other. It's a KZ900Z1. Mm. And it's Z stands for Zebra. Zebra. <laughs> so it's uh, one of those big UJMs from that era when they were making them really big. Everything's got like a single pot caliper you'll notice on it. So th- this along with the Suzuki GS1000 uh-huh. was noted for being something that was really easy to hop up and you get this incredible amount of speed out of it and you basically completely overwhelmed your brakes by the time you were in second gear. Nice. <laughs> so it's list- it's being described as a great start for a cafe racer or restoration. Mm-hmm. Some rust on the bike from setting but nothing I don't think can't be cleaned up with some chili dog. <laughs> Different guy, Chuck. I have their rear fenders as well as a box of chili dogs, bolts, fasteners, <laughs> and that chili was dogs. surplus from the rebuild. Motor is free, but has not been started since I had this last chili dog down at lunch. Yeah, and so he's ported it and put the big head on it, as is common with these old UJMs that still run. Oh, motor was freshly rebuilt by Howard Kessler, Camport, 10, 10 15 cylinder head, Mikuni carbs, KN filters, chili, hot dog, <laughs> bun. Yeah, I, I think this the Zebra bike is probably a perfect example of that inadvisably fast for its braking system and uh, frame. Current bid, 1475 reserve not met. Really? <laughs> wow. He's got hopes and dreams. I mean, man. Yeah, it looks cool, I got to say. And, you know, if the motor is what it says it is, that's, uh, that's pretty good. 20,000 miles. Mm-hmm. It probably screams, it does not stop well, and the turning is a little scary. Mm. These frames, man, slush. But it's got that cool-ass zebra paint job. Yes. Yes, people will be like, what happened? A zebra went by at 100 miles an hour. And then what? <laughs> it went screaming into the ditch. <laughs> it attempted to mate. <laughs> uh, and we got this picture. Mm-hmm. Sent to us by Nicholas. Yep, and it looks like you got a guy on a bike outside a pub, and you got another guy on a chariot setup. Chariot's where he's got, looks like, uh, could be a bandit or an SV. I can't really tell very well from I think here. that's a Ducati. Is it a Duke? Really? Isn't that, doesn't that look like it says DU on the side? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so he's got a Ducati with a sidecar, and the sidecar's set up so he can wheel his wheelchair into it and pilot it from the sidecar. Wow. So I actually showed this picture to my boss at work. Uh-huh. He's in a wheelchair. He's like, where do I sign up? 
well, you know, the thing I'm looking at this, the Ducati is small and has a lot of power for it and stuff. Yeah. I saw a Rocket 3 rig like that once. Ooh. Yes. Ooh. Yes. Large, wide, low. Yes. That That is pretty cool. But, yeah, it's a really cool setup. God I mean, forbid I, if I ever end up in a wheelchair, I, that's what I oh, want. Oh, I told my wife in no uncertain terms. I'm like, if I ever lose the use of my legs, I'm getting a much fancier sidecar. That is cool as hell. I like that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, a, you know, I mean, because quite honestly, so you're in a wheelchair. BFD. Yeah, you know, you still want to ride. We can make it happen. I mean, these are sidecar people are people who ride around in asymmetrical vehicles. Yeah, yeah. Doing something insane like piloting it from the sidecar that barely registers in the weird. <laughs> we know? have the technology. Yeah, no kidding. That is cool. Uh, should we move to emails, listener mails, of which we have quite a few? Yeah, we, we got a lot of mails during the break. Mm-hmm. Uh, you really like us. You really like us. Christopher, I, this is a question for you. Mm. Uh, this comes from our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. In a past episode, you mentioned a stinky stuff to use on leather gloves for waterproofing. What was that? Oh, that's a Nick Wax Leatherproof Wax. Okay. Comes in, uh, you can get it in a bottle or they'll sell like little packets of it at REI that are, you know, about the size of like an Altoids tin. Oh, okay. Um, and you just squeeze it out onto it. I actually need to retreat my uh, my Aero Stitch gloves are getting a little totty. What is it? Nick Nick Wax. Nick Wax. Uh, let me think. Nick Wax weatherproof wax. Weatherproof wax. They have some other stuff for leather, but the wax one is really the one for gloves. All right, there you go, Christopher. I think we might even call it glove proof. Remember, we'll put a, we'll put a link up. Next email. Someone who is not Hiram writes. Yo, dudes, like, how do I stay warm on my super fast RRR bike in the winter? Like, I get cold in my tank top. You know what? My head gets cold with my backwards cap and sunglasses, too. I'm faster than you, Billy. P.S. <laughs> I stole Hiram's email so I can send this. Hiram should be ashamed. Yes. You, Hiram, we told you time and time again, you S- cannot use 12345 as your password. It's just not good. Secret one is also out. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. <laughs> Uh, how do I stay warm on my super? You know, I, you just park your ass in front of the Xbox mm-hmm. and, and play R R R. No, the preferred way to stay warm on a on a bike like this is to put it in the garage and then get on one with the windshield. <laughs> yep. Okay. Next one from e- uh, Nicholas. Hi, still loving the show. Actually, figured out how to go right back to Genesis. That was a long. On time. the first day, God <laughs> created a show. And Chuck giggled in the background. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Fuck you, Paul. Download everything from day one. And if I laugh much harder in my helmet, it's actually going to endanger my riding. I'm glad to hear that the dearly departed Beal wasn't always as disastrously problematic as when I first tuned in. Although I can relate to the idea of taking a completely unsuitable bike off-road. I once took my bandit down an innocent-looking country lane only for it to turn into six-inch rubble. The sort of thing you ideally want a 100-kilogram trail bike for. Not fun. And now there's a small dent on the bottom of one of my headers. But hey, made for an entertaining video as the contour was running at the time. Yeah, we had the video running too when I uh, destroyed the Strom's ability to mount a center stand for all time. And we got, you know, some pictures of you pushing the Buell up uh, inclined. Yes, yes, that too. (laughs) You'll be pleased to know I've recommended your show to our own readers over at MissMotorcycle.net. My girlfriend runs a motorcycling blog that's been up for less than a year, and I've been contributing to Odd Article while bullying her into the idea of doing a podcast of our own. Oh, you know what? Well, I'm just going to walk this up right now. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. Well, probably she'll do it. You don't giggle in the background. I hear that formula work. Shut up! <laughs> Nobody likes you. Let's see. There doesn't seem to be any such 
Boggs podcast on this side of the Atlantic. And it's a shame. Maybe your American listeners will get just as much a kick out of hearing about overseas adventures as I do here in the UK. No. <laughs> Anyways, keep up what you're doing. Yes, us. What we're doing. Just us. And ride safe. Not you. <laughs> Nicholas. There, there, Chuck. What? He's horning in on our territory. Yes, yes. He could totally threaten our profits of negative hundreds of dollars. He might steal one of our seven listeners. You're right. That would be a problem. <laughs> You're so bitter. Bugs sent us an email. Yes, our friend Bugs. Bugs from my the, Buell friend. The Buell friend. Yes. Which, you know, you can always wonder how much of a friend is a Buell friend. Shut up. So he says, the saga continues. The Ghost Rider bike. Sorry to disappoint if you thought I was talking about Chuck's Yuli. A bad rubber who's still active, Russ, can tell you a bit about the bike if you're interested in details on this particular unit as his brother Aaron used to own it. Oh. The pre-production crew posted up questions on BadWeb prior to building the bikes with some fairly specific questions about moving the pipes up under the tail and getting other high zoot parts like the work suspension and polished aluminum bits that adorn it. We directed them to American Sport Bike and Al got them all set up. Memory serves, the production was out of Australia. That's true. So how the bikes ended up here is a mystery to me. I, I expect a plane. Boats. <laughs> Maybe they built them down there and moved them up to L.A. for post-production work. Been too long since I read the threads. Anyway, if you want to know more, I can go do some digging on a slow night and find that thread for you. You know what Bugs does for work? What's that? He's a prison guard. I feel safe. He beats inmates. Oh, Tases nice. them. Well, slow night. Nobody's being a punk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. He's probably beating one right now. Mm. Mm. He's probably got a lot of anger to work out. He does ride buels. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. What have you learned this week, Chuck? Hate you so much. I've learned that soon my crash guard, 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 guards will be safe again. You think he'll be an R model guard? Hmm. Then be a guard R. Guard R. Guard R. And that's all we got time for this week. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Chuck. Ride safe, everyone. We'll see you next week. If you like this podcast, you can find more like it at wheelnerds.com. This has been a Wheel Nerds production, all rights reserved. Readings from other sources are the property of their respective owners and are used with satirical intent.